Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Well, you know, this is uh, typically the time where we would be traditionally talking about, hey, let's we're getting into the new year, we're going to get and, you know, start planning and you know, the new year's is it Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday is New Year's Day, right? And so you got a couple days before, you know, we start planning and start thinking about the new year and kind of getting into everything. And so all of all of us should be doing something like that. That's great to do. Um, have a plan, a vision, something you want to do, you know, business-wise or personally, set some goals for yourself, start your gym membership back up. <clears throat> um, talking to myself on that one, sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, head back there January 1st, yay. And gouge all the rest of the food in the next couple of days before your new commitment starts, which is my plan. So, <laughs> sorry, that was just a dig- I'll dig- I digress on that one. But, uh, but before we get into 29, uh, 2020, geez, we're already into 2019, it's over. Before we get into 2020 and um, before we start making plans, as I was preparing this week, I really felt like, um, I really sensed the Lord say, hey, let's, uh, we've got a couple days here before you're crossing over to this new, this new year. And before we start thinking about all the fun stuff, right, all the vision, all the what we're going to do and the planning and all that kind of stuff that's typically uh, like great, fun, high expectation kind of stuff at the beginning of the year. Before we do that, let's do something that um, is a little bit not fun. Let's before we run into the and do all the new things, let's take a second and pick a few weeds before we plant some new seeds. Because if we leave some of the weeds, um, you know, in an agricultural sense, if you leave the weeds, they choke out the life of the plants, of the grass. Um, and there's, there's some spiritual context and truth in that as well. Let's not leave anything growing in us that needs to go before we start making plans for the new year. Because there will be some really awkward times that, um, and maybe um, inconvenient times where the Lord will push something up in you to say, hey, let's deal with this real quick, or you didn't know this was down here, but I want you to deal with this real fast before we start making plans to go forward. Because when you get rid of those things, you pull them out of you, you pull them out of the ground of your life, you start going, ooh, maybe I should change a little bit about what I'm about to do. And so as I was reflecting, as I was getting ready for the message and reflecting on 2019, I realized I picked up a bad habit, all right? So this is not like confession from Matt here, but I'll just, I'll just tell him myself on one thing. I picked up a bad habit this year. So my day job is corporate America, right? So I sit in front of a, a laptop and a cubicle. <clears throat> Woohoo! so much fun um, every day. And I'm grateful for my job. It's just, you know, just I sit there. So, um, uh, so I started a few years back trying to make the days chug along by popping in my headphones and listening to music. So I would kind of get rolling and get focused on what I'm supposed to be doing and I would just be in my zone and kind of bobbing my head and kind of bouncing around just going to town on doing all my work. And it was a lot of fun for me because I was passing the time a little bit quicker, but it became awkward for people who would stop by my cubicle, which wasn't very often, but they would stop by and need to talk to me about something. And here I was with my back turned to them, just going to town on my laptop, you know, having my own little like groove session. And so they always had to be like, tap me on the shoulder. And it was always that awkward moment, you know, in the corporate environment where you're like, oh my goodness, what, what? Oh, sorry. And so I had enough of those awkward moments where I realized I needed to get rid of my old school headphones and get me a couple little earbuds. And so I only put one of them in. 
And so I could keep my other ear open so that if anybody came by and went, Matt, and said something to me, I could know that they were talking to me. And so I'd done this for several years, and so my bad habit this year was that I started doing this all the time. And so I did this even not at work, not only at work, but I did this when I came home. And so, you know, Nina, like in the, in the, in the, in the holiday time, she'd be watching the same Hallmark movie again and again and again and again. And um, all you guys know what I'm talking about, but I'm the, I'm the only one in trouble right now. So just don't, just look at me confused. Like you don't know what's going on. But they're all the same. They just have different titles and different actors and actresses, right? They just all like some small, big town girl comes to a small town guy, you know, and they, I've seen them all. So, um, <laughs> so. So anyway, so she's watching these Hallmark movies, and I'm in the in back here trying to cook something, maybe in the kitchen or something, and she tries to say something to me. Well, I got one of my earbuds in. Well, my bad habit was not only keeping it in, or not only just doing that all the time, but I would start to keep that thing in when I would try to talk to people. And I don't know if you've ever had like some bumping old music going in this ear when you're trying to have a conversation with somebody with this ear. I don't know what it was about me, if I was just being lazy or what. But I started doing this, and I always had to make people repeat themselves. So I would be like, she would sit over there and be like, hey, babe, I want to do this. And I would just be kind of grooving away and be like, oh, she talked to me. I heard her. Wait, what, what was that? What was that? And I eventually just had to stop and pull out the ear thing. And then I had to get her to repeat herself, you know, to tell me. And then I realized, oh, man, I missed that part of my podcast. And so I had to rewind it. You know, it was not really profitable for anybody. I should have taken that thing out and given my full attention from the jump street, right, from, from the get-go. And so that illustration, I wanna put that illustration in your mind for later because I really believe that this is something that, um, that we are doing, I'm doing and, I, and I, I sense that maybe some of us are doing as we make preparations as, as we go through life. So I wanna read, um, the scripture we're gonna to read tonight is in Matthew chapter four, okay? <clears throat> Verses one through 11. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist, and this, and, and immediately after that happens, the, the heavens open up and the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon him, right? And then the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. As soon as that's done, here's where we pick up um, the, the account, the historical account of Jesus and what he does next. Then, after the baptism, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, <clears throat> Excuse me, and he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. <laughs> For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels took care of Jesus. <clears throat> now in this passage, we see that there's three different ways that the devil tried to tempt Jesus. And those three things are what we're going to review today because some of those, or those exact same temptations 
are what the enemy is using with us throughout our life as well. Number one, the first line on your notes there. <clears throat> the first thing that the devil tempted Jesus with was physical desires. <clears throat> physical desires. <clears throat> so we know that, and I, I want to keep pulling us back to this, this point, is that all of these stories that we read here in Scripture are about real people. Real people, not made-up characters. They're not people in a play or a story. These are real people. And so Jesus, it's really important that we understand something about Him theologically, which we'll break down in some future message, but I really want you to understand this. And it's the next line in your notes. It's this, Jesus was fully God and fully human. Jesus was fully God and fully human. This is a paradox that only he could fulfill. He lived a fully human life and never sinned, but was also God in the flesh. What that means is when he went to go fast for 40 days in the wilderness, it doesn't mean he had some power that you and I don't have to accomplish fasting for 40 days. It means that the same struggle that we would have the same struggle that we would have, the same hunger pains that we would have, the same fantasizing about that favorite dish your grandmother used to cook or whatever, you know, his Mama Mary used to make for him, you know, when he was a boy, that, that same dish ran across his mind, he was hungry. Those same hunger pains, if we don't, if we don't read the account of his life and realize that those same things happened to him, we don't have a clear version or a clear picture of him that he is fully human. He has the same struggles, the same hungers. He's, 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 he's walking along and you know, he, he kicked the door stop in the middle of the night and his toe hurt. It, these, all these things are, are things that he is subject to because he is fully human. That's evident in uh, uh, the first part of this passage. He says, and he became very hungry. It means he wasn't hungry, he had eaten, and then he didn't eat for a very long time, almost six straight weeks, and then here he is, he's very, very hungry. This is a very little, a very small thing in the scripture, but it's something that gives us an insight and a reminder to say, he's human. There's a, he's fully God and fully human. He is dealing with the same str the struggles that you and I would deal with today. He hadn't eaten for 40 days, he had a natural stomach, natural desires, um, and he struggled the same way we do with the same ailments and appetites, the same ones that we deal with today. He could have very easily snapped his fingers, being fully God and fully human, and made a large plate of fatty brisket from Little Miss Barbecue appear in his lap with some jalapeno grits and some ranch-style beans. And made, uh, you know, he could have easily done that. He easily could have made anything appear for himself, but he says, no, I'm fully God, but I'm also fully human. I'm going to go through this all the way and not stop. I'm going fully through the fast as, uh, as a human. Next line in your notes. It's something that's very important to understand. The devil had no idea when the Messiah would come. The devil had no idea when the Messiah would come. Why is this important to this particular passage? Because of this. In the Garden of Eden, when 
Satan in the form of a, of a serpent. He tempts Adam and Eve to eat fruit of the tree that, that God told them not to eat from. As soon as that happened, God comes and he curses the serpent to the ground, right? But he also says, he tells him from that point on, hey, there's going to come a time where one of these women's going to give birth to someone who's going to crush your head. That Messiah is going to come. Satan does, did not know from that point until the point where Jesus, where Jesus was revealed, he had no clue when the Messiah was coming. God let him sit there for 3,500 or 4,000 years, agonizing every day, is this the day? Somebody else is born, is this the one? Many people would raise up and claim to be Messiah, and then they would fall off, and they, were, they would prove that they were not the Messiah. And so when, when here he is, thousands of years past the point of tempting Adam and Eve, not knowing, he has no clue when the Messiah is going to come, and a voice from heaven after Jesus is baptized pierces through the clouds and says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. He did that so everybody else can, around him could see, verify that God is putting his stamp, he's pointing at him and saying, This is my boy. I also think he probably did this to go, Hey man, you've been waiting a long time to the enemy. Uh, he's here. It's important to realize that the devil is not, next part of your night, he is not all-knowing. He has no clue what you're about to do, what the future holds for you, what God's plans are. All he can do is sit and watch in the same ways that, that we can to see what might be coming, he, but he has no ability for forethought. He is not all-knowing. Number two, he is not all-powerful. He is not all-powerful. He was a created being. He is not the creator. The God that we serve, that rules over everything, existed when nothing else existed. He created everything from nothing, including the angel Lucifer who fell with the third of the angels from heaven. The enemy, the devil, is a created being. He's not all-powerful. Last, he is not, the devil is not, God. And in parentheses I put there, and it's not even close. It's not even close. It's important that we remember he is not all-knowing, he is not all-powerful, and he is sure as heck ain't God when those temptations come for us. We have to remember who we're dealing with. Why is it important here that the Bible describe that the devil is the one who tempted him. The devil must have had some type of revelation at that moment to go, if this is the guy, I need to go see for myself. So it doesn't say that he sent a demonic spirit, he didn't send some, uh, some, prince, uh, some leader of some principality from some spiritual perspective. The devil himself went to go tempt Jesus. <clears throat> One of the ways that the devil initially will attempt, uh, will tempt us is through physical desires. He's doing this to Jesus on the food front, right? Like, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days, so go ahead and fulfill that physical desire now. Even though you're fasting, even though you're doing that, 
fulfill that physical desire now. And that same temptation runs across our thought process, our hearts, our laps, maybe not with food in the middle of a fast, but with other things. Float those things right across your mind. Let's fulfill this fleshly, physical desire. Let's fulfill those things. That's one of the, main, that's one of the first ways he comes to tempt us. These are tough temptations because the desire to fulfill those things is real. Let's don't sit here and pretend. Let's don't be the people that pretend that we don't have some type of fleshly desire, whether it's daily or monthly or whenever it is, but sometimes rises up in us that we have to think about and go, no, I'm not going to succumb to that temptation. That desire is real because we are still flesh and blood. The fact that you have this desire doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. It means you're human in need of a Savior, in need of His power to help us deal with the temptations that come. How we deal with the temptation to give in to the desire is the key, not the fact that we have the desire or are tempted. <clears throat> Jesus answers the temptation in this way. But Jesus told him to the devil, no, when he said, turn the stones into bread. Take two of them and make a bun for a pulled pork sandwich. I'm from the South and barbecue guy, if you can't tell. He says, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Next line in your notes, Jesus used the knowledge and truth of scripture to combat the temptation of the devil. Jesus used the knowledge of the truth of Scripture to combat the temptation of the devil. In resisting the devil, Jesus gives us an example of how to deal with the temptation to fulfill fleshly, physical desires. Every one of these times, Jesus says a key phrase to him, the Scriptures say. And that's a starting point for us to resist these temptations when the enemy rolls them across our laps. Number two. Second way <clears throat> Jesus or the, the devil tempted Jesus was with twisted truth. <clears throat> twisted truth. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 from that same passage. The devil took him up to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say... Let's just stop right there for a second. That is the devil repeating Scripture. Look what he says. If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say, He will order His angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, and you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The devil is using and twisting truth to try to tempt Jesus to do something that is not in the Word. It's not in line for what He's supposed to do. So when I read that, I thought, well, man, the Scriptures say, where does the Scripture say that? Psalm chapter 91, 
verses 9 through 16. Here's what it says. The psalmist writes, If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Sound familiar? It's the passage that the enemy just quoted to Jesus. You will trample on the lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a lifelong, with a long life and give them my salvation. After reading this scripture, it's pretty clear that this scripture is not saying, go do something physical, like jump off a top of the temple, so that we can prove that God is going to catch us. His angels are going to come and not let us even dash our foot on a stone or cut our foot on a stone. It's not even going to strike a stone. So would we be safe to assume that after reading this, we are not going to go outside, take the ladder, climb up on the roof, and jump off headfirst into the dirt? Well, rocks, right? We're in Arizona landscaping. Into the rocks. We would not do that after reading this. Why? Because we understand this is not what this is talking about. Making some type of physical, um, uh, physical action based upon that, on that scripture, like jumping off the roof, is not what the psalmist is intending here. This is a songwriter, an artist, who is using metaphors to say, look how great God is. He is so powerful. This is, uh, when you serve Him, this is the breath of His strength and His love and His protection for His people. It doesn't mean do something foolish to try to prove that He's not going to actually you know, let you fall off the roof. You understand what I'm saying? The enemy is using this scripture. He's quoting this, the next line of your, your notes. The devil knows he's quoting this scripture out of context. Out of context. This is very important for us as believers to make sure we have time and we are rooted in Scripture because the enemy will use the Scripture out of context against us to try to get us to do something that we are not supposed to do. It's like taking a heap of garbage and painting it real nice or dipping it in a candy shell and saying, here, eat. Well, it's Scripture, right? But the context and the inside of it is all twisted. We have to be people who know His Word. We have to be people who know His Word so that when He comes to us or there's something that comes to us, one of, uh, some type of, uh, of, 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 of spirit from the enemy comes to us and tempts us or tries to confuse us with some of these thoughts, we know what the Scripture says. It's also very important, this next, this next part in your notes, we don't have to prove anything to the enemy. We don't have to prove anything to the enemy. You don't have to do anything to prove him wrong. He already knows he's wrong. So you're only proving it to yourself. And if you know the scripture, you know he's wrong. He knows he's wrong. There's no point spending any time with that. Because if you, if you are an overthinker like me, Okay, I'll just use myself as an example. If you're an overthinker like me, 
and the enemy starts his own little argument inside your, my own head, it runs a thought across my head, I will keep that thing alive and argue both sides of the point until I am exhausted. I don't know if you do that or you think I'm weird. You'll never come back after I told you that. I'm like, that dude's psychotic. No, that happens inside of my head, like that self-talk that goes back and forth of, of trying to justify and rationalize. No, that's not what that means, but what if it is? And trying to be right. Sometimes the enemy will roll a, roll a thought across my own head and then just leave me alone, and I'll just do the beating up myself. I'll take it from there and destroy myself with the thought because I wasn't disciplined enough to know what the Scripture said, to know what the truth was, to shut him up and realize I don't have to prove anything to him. He came to steal, to kill, and destroy. He's trying to twist. He's trying to bend the truth. He's trying to do all this. And all of these arguments, if you're trying to have these with the enemy or justify something that the enemy is bringing to you, it will never bear any fruit. Because when you present the truth, he's going to go, okay, he knows it, and then leave. There's no benefit. There's no win. There's no gain. Take the lead of Jesus on this one. Because not only did the devil use it out of context, Jesus, more importantly, knows he's used the scripture out of context. Just think about this. He's telling the one who was part of God breathing the scripture, the inspiration for all of this. He's twisting his own words back to him. Jesus realizes it and goes back to Scripture. Verse 7, Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Twelve words shuts down something that would kill me for months. <laughs> Twelve words He uses. The Scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next line in your notes, Jesus quickly uses Scripture to shut the enemy down and moves on. That's really important. Notice that it didn't, he didn't linger around with this temptation. Notice that it doesn't go through and that Jesus doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't say that he sat there and struggled back and forth with, with what to do. Maybe I should make just a little bit of rice up here. I mean, it's just a little bit of rice. It's not even what I, what I want to eat. Maybe I should give in to this. Maybe I... Maybe I should just shut this dude up, man. I'm just, I'll go up there and jump off and I'll get caught and I'll tell him, look, you know what it is. You know what time it is. No, he doesn't succumb to any of that because he is confident in what the Scripture says. You must not test him. Jesus uses Scripture to shut down the enemy and moves on. And that is a great, that is a great path for us to follow. Present the enemy back, the Scripture, to the temptation and leave it there. And move on. Number three, <clears throat> the third thing that the enemy tempted Jesus with and will also potentially tempt us with is the promise of power. The promise of power. Verse eight, next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, again, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the enemy says, I'll give it all to you if you will kneel down and worship me. That word worship here is the Greek word. It's in your notes. I'll spell it for you. P 
P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O. P-R-O-S-K-U-N-E-O. Proscunio. The definition of this word in the New Testament is to kneel down or lay prostrate, like completely on your face, publicly to show respect to someone, to express respect or make supplication. And this next one is the one that gets me. Used of homage shown to beings of superior rank. The devil is tempting Jesus by offering him all the power in the world if he would only publicly show respect and acknowledge the devil as superior. Now, as I thought about this, I thought, this is laughable, right? Like you are coming to the Son of God and saying, show me some respect, get down and lay on your face in front of me publicly so everybody will see that I'm superior. There's only two reasons I can see that he would do this. A, next line in your notes, supreme Arrogance. Supreme arrogance. There's no way this is going to work. I mean, I guess shoot your shot, right? Like if you're going to if you're going to go for it and ask, you know, try to try to get everything that Jesus has. I mean, you might as well do it in one shot, right? Shoot your shot. But B, the other reason I can think of is Jesus or the devil is trying to see if Jesus was the real Messiah. Remember, he didn't know when the Messiah was going to come. There's nothing in Scripture that says that God told him, hey, my son Jesus is coming at this time and this date and this century, or this, he's going to be born at this location or this time. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. He doesn't know when he's coming. And so he goes and offers everything that he can to see. Is he the real one? If the temptation to gain everything in the world or in our world or what we think is quote-unquote everything ever comes to us as a believer, know it comes with two purposes. It comes to test to see if you will surrender for the lust for power and submitting to doing things enemy's way. And it also comes, if you're a believer in Christ, to see if you're a real one. trying to find out, can I dangle a carrot of worldly riches in front of your face if you'll just do things my way, submit to my path, submit to the way that I'm instructing things, submit to the way I'm orchestrating things. If you'll submit to the devil and he can get you to do that, you know what? You're not really worth his time. You're of no danger to him. How we respond during these trials and these tests and these temptations determines how the enemy will tempt you in the future. Wait, in the future? Yes, I said, the way he will tempt you in the future. Luke, the book of Luke chapter 4, has the same account of the devil tempting Jesus. Um, gives the same, uh, a, a same account of, this, of what happens here. And in verse 13 it says this, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. 
Next line in your notes, this implies the temptations continued after Jesus' time in the desert. Oh, goody. Yay! I was hungry for 40 days. I haven't eaten anything for almost six weeks. I'm walking around here in the desert. I'm not sleeping in my own bed. I'm out here just laying on the rocks. I'm trying to get... I'm trying to fulfill this fast, do what the Lord has put on my heart to do. And I just passed the three major huge tests to show that I am the Son of God. I am going to follow the way that God has, has led out. And then, then the enemy says, okay, thank you, and then leaves and says, I know what to do next. The way we respond to those temptations will dictate how the enemy tempts us in the future. But let's not lay all of this off on the enemy. We have to remember our own personal responsibility when it comes to temptation. And I did say our own personal responsibility. James chapter 1 verse 12 through 15 says this, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to them who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires. I want to read that one more time. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when the sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, you could look at me and say, well, we just read that the devil tempted Jesus, and now you're saying, in the book of James, it says that the temptations are from our own desire. Yes. It's not a contradiction. They work in concert with one another. Why? The enemy doesn't usually tempt me, the next line of your notes, the enemy doesn't usually tempt me with things I don't want. <clears throat> the enemy doesn't normally tempt me with things I don't want. Let me give you a very clear example. I have never once in my life been tempted to steal broccoli. <laughs> never once. It has never happened. I don't ever expect it to happen. Why? Because I could easily... And immediately rebuke that spirit in the name of Jesus. Take your little devil green trees that are the size of my thumb and go boil them somewhere else and stink up somebody else's house, right? Like, I know I'm supposed to eat them and they're good for you, but man, they're nasty. I want to go back to my pulled pork sandwich. So that's an easy one, right? That's an easy one. But the temptation to sit through the movie that shows images that I won't forget, that one was a little bit tougher. As a younger man, I would sit there in front of the massive screen and rationalize. I already paid money for these tickets. I don't want to look like a weirdo. Uh, I don't want to come off as that holier-than-thou type person. Uh, I don't want the people I came with to feel bad because they stayed and I got up or whatever else it was. I would have to reconcile with my own mind and fight with my own mind because why? He was tempting me with something that was my own desire. If I want cake, 
I can easily turn down the broccoli. But slide that double chocolate on a plate with a fork and a napkin next to me, whew, it gets a little bit more tougher, right? It may not be movies or cake for you, but my guess is that you know what it is that you want that is opposite of what Scripture would dictate we should pursue. In every single one of these temptations, Jesus starts His answer with these words, The Scriptures say... The scriptures also say, the scriptures say. The one time he spoke to him before, there was a word before the scriptures say, he said, no, the scriptures say. Every single time he reverted back to scripture to destroy the temptation that was coming to destroy him. I'm absolutely certain that the enemy has tempted every one of you at some point in time during 2019. My guess is that temptation may have even been as recently as this past week. A lot of people get in the holidays and deal with comparison. I don't have what they have. My life doesn't look like their pictures online. Whatever it is. But I wonder how many of us have continued to entertain the temptation long past it was the point it was presented to us. Remember my little bad habit I picked up? My one earbud? It made it impossible for me to focus on what was at hand because I had something else pumping into my ear. It made it impossible for me to truly focus. And even if I could accomplish the task that Nina was asking me to do, was I really giving it everything that I had? Was I really just trying to get through it or actually investing the time and effort and energy it took because I didn't want to pull out what was going on on my other ear. I wonder how many of us are carrying that same thing, that same thought, that same temptation, long past the point it was introduced to us, and that thing's playing on repeat in our head when we're trying to make plans for what God wants to do in the future. And at this point is where this message is meant to intersect our life. If I personally had to give an account of all the thoughts I've had or the temptations that I struggle with in my own head and the time that I've argued or spent on it on the left side of a piece of paper or the time I've spent in His Word counteracting all those temptations, the amount of time on the both sides of those paper as I look back on 2019, I am unhappy with. Because all the time that I spent over here, not giving in to those things, but just entertaining them, just struggling, just with the thoughts going on in my head, 
could have easily been remedied and I could have moved on had I only come back to this side and said, I am going to go back to his word. And I used the phrase, the scriptures say. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Very important. Ready for this? When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so you can endure. He will show you a way out. So you can endure. It doesn't say he will pick you up and move you across the room. He will get you out of the place that you're sitting that you know you shouldn't be sitting. He will magically make the remote power the TV off on its own. It doesn't say that. It says he provides you a way out. He shows you a way out. Following his lead out of the temptation is on us. And it's easier to follow his direction and his word if we are actually reading it. We're actually spending time in it. It's on us. Take that earbud out of the ear to not carry it forward and not have divided hearing, which is the title of the message. It's on us to remove that, know what the scripture says to combat the temptation. It's on us to remove all of that other stuff that is causing us not to be able to focus, to be able to hear clearly, to interact clearly, to even plan for what next year has to bring or what God would want us to do because there might be something else playing over and over on one side that is preventing us from getting the whole picture. And that is the weed we need to pull out before we cross the threshold and move into new year, new exciting, new times. There's no point if that thing is still playing over and over. <clears throat> that thing that might be playing in your head, let me just give an example, might be a fear. Fear of what? I don't know. Fear of whatever it is that might be in your head, might be in your heart. Fear that something might happen, that it might not happen, that things might go this way when I want them to go this way. Nothing might happen at all when I'm expecting something to happen or I'm expecting nothing to happen and some, or whatever the fear is. But that fear can constantly be on repeat in your head over and over and when you are spending time in his word and you're going I should not be afraid God has everything under control he is working things out for my good if I'm pursuing him I'm pursuing him but this thing keeps playing over in my head and I'm trying to read this but when I read this I'm hearing this thing over and over and over and I'm the one refusing to take it out so that I can hear clearly and so the encouragement and the, what I'm trying to submit to you for consideration to the, this 
this week, the last Sunday of 2019, before we walk into the new year. Should we be excited for the new year? Absolutely. Should we be making plans? Sure. But before we do that, let's pick a few of those weeds that might choke out the seed that we sow for next year. Let's pick some of those weeds that may have already choked out some things we tried to do this year that the Lord has directed us to do, that we wanted to put our hands to do, but the fear kept playing and we didn't put our hands to it. And the temptation to believe the worst instead of believing the Almighty God and the temptation to prove to the enemy that that's not the right thing when his whole job is to just twist it up on us. He knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) That temptation may linger. It's going to cause divided hearing between what the Lord wants to do and say to us through His Word and what temptation we continue to carry forward. Divided hearing. Charlie will not be at the building with us as we go to next week. So, here's what I'm encouraging you, admonishing you to do. It's before the end of the year. Take some time in His Word. Take some time with His Scripture. And bring the things that we constantly struggle with to Him and contrast them to what He says we're supposed to do in His Word. So on the very back page, I gave you what I'm going to call homework. It should have been called probably maybe some prep work, New Year prep work. That would have been better. See? I missed that one. I want you to sit somewhere. I'm going to encourage you to sit somewhere with the Lord away from the chaos or whatever it is that you deal with every day. Sit somewhere and ask yourself, what temptations am I carrying this year? This past year, what temptations have I been carrying and keeping alive this year? What temptations do I keep falling prey to? I got a desire, there's a temptation, There's an opportunity to fulfill the desire and I fulfill it and I feel bad and I come back and repent to the Lord and all of this stuff. What what are those temptations I keep falling prey to this past year? Next, here's the lion's share and the most important. What does the Word of God say about these temptations? And I'm going to encourage you to find five scriptures for each one of those temptations, what the Bible says. My guess is it will not be hard to find. The last thing after you find all of those scriptures is this. Ask yourself, based on the knowledge of scripture that I have, what is my response going to be when I am tempted again? My prayer is, my hope is for my own self and my prayer is for all of you, is that we as a body of believers, when those temptations come, we will be able to say, the scripture says because we have so many hours logged in his word so much time spent in prayer 
and going over his word that we are immediately able to recognize, oh, this is wrong. This is a temptation. And the scripture says this. So run about your business and leave me alone to handle it. He will provide us a way of escape. He's not going to come collect us and move us out the way. We have to do what he's assigned for us to do. And that starts being in his word.